and then that, you got to get the order down correct. So there's a, there's a rule that you don't let um, your opening act you know, be better than the actual, so forgive me. <laughs> Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Thank you for the snow. Father, we are so worried about a drought in this dry land that we live in, and thank you for answering prayers and, and bringing moisture. Thank you for friends and family and just the multitude of voices. Thank you for this wonderful place where you've gathered us. Father, we have your word open in front of us. We're going to dive in here. Father, please be with us this morning. We are seeking your face. We are seeking your wisdom. Lord, please open your heart to us. We ask that in the loving name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. Um, I want to take a moment to, to thank Ray for joining us this morning to, to play the drums. Thank you so much. It's great worship this morning, huh? <laughs> Tell you what, if I had donuts, we'd just serve donuts and then we could hang out. <laughs> All right, got some, uh, some quick announcements. Uh, so uh, next food bank is February 12th and 13th, so please keep that on your calendars. Um, Vernon is back. Hi. So when we have a Bible study, man. Okay. All right. So everybody hear that? Tuesday. Okay. Awesome. Bible study's back in swing. Um, next Sunday is fifth Sunday. And man, we, have we got a show for you. It's going to be pretty sweet. I'm actually really stoked. We've got um, a lot of the kids are, are ready to go. We've got skits. We've got magic. We've got all kinds of things. You do not want to miss next Sunday. Um, Next announcement, uh, February 17th is Ash Wednesday, the, the start of Lent. So if you want to put that on the top of your calendar. Um, so it brings us to the next question is, what day is Easter? It's the same day it is every year. It's the 17th of, no, it's April 4th uh, this year. <laughs> I love that Jewish calendar joke, sorry. Um, and then, of course, my obligatory uh, you know, um, plug for Secret Church. Secret Church is coming up on April 23rd. Um, and... Um, yeah, I was thinking um, we have been, we, I, unintentionally, we have kind of created a, a text group where we have been getting a lot of the prayer requests. What that has meant is that I have neglected um, saying to you guys, hey, if you have prayer requests, um, please put them on the little sheets that are at the back of the church and please put them in the back of the box. Um, we do have a, a prayer team. We do get those things out to everybody. And um, please, as I say, I apologize to you for not reminding um, us to, to keep up with that, with the whole COVID thing. I haven't been about paper. Um, I've been, and uh, that should not be the case. We have the, the envelopes at the back there, so please put your requests in one of those envelopes, and, um, and we will get that out to the prayer team. So please do that. That ties right into our theme for today, and that is we're talking about, about prayer, and we're talking about it in a, in a, in a, in a, a theme of encouragement in a theme of encouragement. So we're in Luke chapter 18. We're in verses 1 through 8. Um, so if you have your Bibles, we can, we can turn there to Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. I wonder what this parable is about. It says, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. 
For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who, carry out to him, who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Mm. So we have some, some topics for today. We have prayer, we have perseverance or endurance, and there's a mention of the end times, of, of the return of Christ, and then there's a topic of the kingdom of God, and then there's a topic of faith. And like I say, I want to put over all of this, the idea is encouragement. We don't want to beat anybody up, we're not here to, to make anybody feel bad, but the idea is to renew, to make sure that we have our, our strength renewed, that we are digging back in, that we get back up on the, off the ground, that we keep on going, that we are encouraged to continue in our faith. I think it's pretty easy right now to be discouraged, to look around at what's going on in the world, to see what's going on, and to be discouraged in our society, especially if you turn on social media. Oof, that's a little rough. It's amazing. I, I know it's crazy how after the election, all the people who were bitter and angry before the election, they're still bitter and angry. <laughs> Crazy how the world didn't change. I don't know. But the idea is to endure, to keep praying, to persevere, to keep going. He wants to make sure that we are encouraged. I was thinking about a, a pilgrim's promise and the, the journey that, that our dear Christian takes as he goes across his life. You know, it's a, it's a long time from the time he enters through the, the narrow gate and he, he dumps his heavy load and then he gets on the narrow path. But it's a long time. It's the, the meat of the book before he enters the celestial city at the very end. And that's, that's most of us. We're just trying to stay on the narrow road. We're just trying to, trying to stay on the path. And, the, the, you know, Satan keeps on coming up and, and, and throwing his flaming arrows at us. We keep on getting lost out in, in, in uh, this Babylon that we find ourselves in. We keep on wandering off of our own volition. And all we're trying to do is make it to that celestial city and to see the triumphant at the end. That's what we're looking for. We need to be encouraged. We need to be renewed in our journey, don't we? So I'm going to go to Psalm chapter 90, verse 4. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Throughout all generations, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. Verse 4, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning, and the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. Along the same vein, we're going to go to Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. It says, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on 
as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget. That's an important phrase. They deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done, and it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. As some examples of God's timing, to put ourselves in the, in the feet of some other people that have kind of been in, in different places. I was thinking about Noah, and it was a hundred years from the time that God told Noah that the flood was coming until the rain started falling in Genesis chapters 5 and 6. For Abraham, it was 25 years from the time that Abraham and Sarah were promised Isaac until he was born in Genesis chapter 17. Joseph was sold as a slave and spent 10 years in prison after he had a dream his brothers would bow down to him in Genesis chapter 37. The Jewish people, they spent 400 years in captivity before being led out. Moses spent 40 years in the desert before ever even seeing the promised land. There were 400 years between the last prophet and Jesus. See, we can be sure that God will do as he says. The thing that leaves us in the middle is the the when and the how. That's the hard part, is the waiting times, the in-between times. There's a, another parable that I'm going to grab that just illustrates this, this patient waiting, this endurance. It's in Matthew chapter 25. It's in verses 1 through 13. It says, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps out but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was long in coming. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. And at midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. It sets the scene for us. 
It's comforting. It is encouraging. It is reassuring that everything is going according to plan. That the plan has not gone off the rails. That nothing new, nothing unexpected is happening. All of this is part of the plan. God is still sovereign. He's still on his throne. All of the things that we look forward to as Christians, they're still coming as we sit here and we wait. But that's the hard part, isn't it? Is, is the waiting, is the daily grind, is the getting up in the morning and doing our daily routine, looking at the world as it is. We were, it's one of the things I loved about our, our video today was taking the world as it is, wanting it, to be better, wanting it to be better for our children and wanting it to be better for those people around us, but seeing it how it is and spending our lives working, railing against it and wondering, what good is it? What is, what is the good that's going to come out of this? What is the beauty that's going to come out of this? Well, we get this encouragement from Jesus. He says, no, this is exactly what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to endure. You're supposed to. Yes, these hardships, yes, they're going to come. I know. I know it hurts. I know it stinks. But keep going. The reward is coming. My plan is not thwarted. Please, these people around you are important. Keep on praying. Keep on working. Keep on doing. Because at the end, I see everything that you do. I hear every word. I know every good deed. I see it. And believe you me, it works towards my kingdom. That's what he's saying to us. So this idea, and like I said, I want us to take a little bit of a a longer view. We're going to jump back actually a little bit into into chapter 17. Because there's an important message in here. We're talking about the kingdom of God, but there's something incredible, a little nugget that's put into this verse. It tells us that prayer is a key to our faith. It's a key to our endurance. That remember at the very beginning of this verse, Jesus says, keep on praying. And at the very end, he asks the question, when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? That's an amazing tie-in, prayer and faith. We often kind of talk about those things in separate measure, but he's saying, no, no, no. You show me your prayer life and I'll see your faith life. If we were, you know, James, if we were over in the chapter of James, we'd be saying, hey, show me your good deeds and I'll I'll, I'll see your faith. Jesus is saying the same thing about your prayer. Show me your prayer and I'll have seen your faith. They're tied together. You want to increase your faith, increase your prayer. That's an amazing statement to make. And we need to tie into this that we need to have perspective of both the current and the expected kingdoms of God. And this verse really, it caps off this idea that what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees in chapter 17. So I grabbed this from, from John Piper. He did a, a great um, takeout on verses uh, 17 through 37. It says, The Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom of God was coming. But what they meant was, When will the Messiah come and overthrow our enemies and establish the throne of David and bring peace and righteousness to the world. That sounds an awful lot like us, doesn't it? That's what we're waiting for. When will justice finally be done? When will goodness finally reign? When will finally all of this mess be put to right? We look at our earth, we see that what's going on with it, we, we look at all the places around us, we see the people suffering around us, we go, man, when is this going to end? And we feel powerless against it. 
Our cry is not dissimilar to that of the Pharisees. But notice Jesus' answer. His answer was baffling, John Piper says, to people who didn't acknowledge him to be the Messiah. He said, if your only way of recognizing the kingdom of God is by miraculous signs that bring down the Roman tyranny, then you will surely miss it because the kingdom of God is already in the middle of you, in the midst of you. Jesus is the king, and wherever he wins people into allegiance, his reign is established. Then we're going to continue on with Mr. John Piper here. It says, he warns against the opposite mistake. In verse 21, he warned against looking for catastrophic signs and said the kingdom was quietly but powerfully in their midst. But in verse 23 and 24, he warns against thinking that the final appearance of the Son of Man could be anything but catastrophic. It will not be quiet or hidden. If someone says, here it is or there it is, then you know they are wrong. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. That's verse 24. When Christ comes, we're going to know. Everybody's going to know. It's going to light up the entire sky. It will not be a hidden thing. But the difference, this is John Piper again, the difference between the first and second comings of Christ is the difference between a little candle and a bolt of lightning. The question is, is what, what will we be like? That's what this verse is talking about, is what will we be like when that happens? Because this whole example, he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, he talks about the days of Noah. In those times, right up until the catastrophe struck, everybody was just going about their daily business. They were doing their daily grind. They still had to earn a paycheck. They still had to pay the mortgage. They still had to get the kids to school. All of those things were still going on. And you think about the example of of Sodom and Gomorrah. There was one righteous family. That was it, one lot. It's a little rough, isn't it? Same thing with the days of Noah. All of those things were going on. Farmers were still farming. Ranchers were still ranching. Millers were still milling. Smiths were still smithing. I can't say it. I wrote it. But all of those things were happening. Kids were being born. Marriages were happening. Funerals were happening. And one righteous family God found on the earth. That's terrifying, isn't it? That's terrifying. But taking that end view, we should go, no, 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 no. Not in my time. No, 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 no. That's not going to happen with me. If God comes back tomorrow, he is going to look and he's at least going to find this building full of faithful and righteous people. Minimum, if not as many as we can carry with us. Go on with John Piper here. It says, Jesus describes what the days will be like leading up to the coming of the Son of the Man. He compares the coming of the Son of Man to the flood in Noah's day and to the destruction of Sodom by fire and brimstone. And he says the days before Christ's coming will be like the days before those two catastrophes, namely, full of busy, ordinary life. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In other words, 
we can expect that most of the world will be engaged in business as usual when the lightning of the Son of Man flashes from sky to sky. Then in verses 31 through 37, Jesus warns us not to be like Lot's wife. That is, in the hour of crisis, don't love the world. Don't turn back with longing, or you'll be unfit for the kingdom. Remember, when the Son of Man comes, he will separate the sheep and the goats. Even if they are sleeping together or working side by side at the mill, one will be taken into safety, the other left. Left where? The disciples ask. Where the body is, there will be the vultures gathered together. Not to be gathered to Christ at his coming to be left for destruction. Jesus makes it clear that eternal life hangs on whether we are ready when he comes. Then we come into our verse for the day. And Jesus immediately reminds us, be encouraged, persevere, endure. We are reminded of both the reward for our faithful obedience and the consequence for disobedience. There's a few things that strike me about the disciples and their ministry. It's funny, it's one of the things that, that Pastor Nathan and I talk about quite a bit. We talk about what is the essence of church. What is the real meat of it? What is the best way that we can get the message of God out to the people? And one of the things that really strikes me about the disciples, whenever they would go into a town, they would go into a public square, and they would proclaim the gospel. And then they would be taken into someone's home, and they would spend however long it would take pouring out the gospel into those folks until they felt comfortable enough that they could move on to the next town, that they got it. But we're talking about days maybe a week, maybe two weeks tops they would spend with these folks. And then they would move on to the next town. That's an incredibly short amount of time. I was thinking about, we've been um, doing the New Testament now for, for, uh, for two years, and we're, we're just now moving out of the, the Synoptic Gospels. Probably by, by June we'll be moving out of them. But to think about compressing not just that, but all of the Old Testament and the New Testament into just a short couple of weeks and not only compressing that, but making it stick enough that people were ready to teach it. They didn't just understand it for themselves. They didn't just internalize it for themselves. They were ready to build a church in that time. That requires something. See, we all need to have inside of ourselves the hunger, the desire, the passion, the, I love the word, the ganas for a relationship with Christ, that we drink up the gospel like it is living water in the desert, that we claw and scratch at the scriptures, that we talk late into the night about our doctrine, that we yen, I love that word, yen so much for Christ's return that it plagues us, that we love our brothers and sisters so much and we can't stand the thought of eternity without them, that we can't help but hold their faith in their eternity in regard. That's why I bring up things like, like Lent. As we head into Lent, plan to do something. Dedicate more time to Christ than you did before. We can't be fickle, unfocused, and undisciplined in our lives as Christians, and especially in our prayer life. Prayer is foundational to the Christian. Our faith is very unstructured. We don't have a lot of requirements, and I think that's a good thing. We don't have 
like we were talking about last week, we don't have special robes, we don't have special shoes, we don't have all of these feasts and festivals lined out for us, we don't have sacrifices, we don't have places, we don't have pilgrimages that we have to make. We are completely free to worship God in our own way. In our own way, however it happens, we are free. When Galatians 4 and Galatians 5, when it talks about our freedom, we are absolutely free. God puts no constraints. I was thinking about, there's a, a great thing that passed around, you know, is what if somebody were to come to you and give you $1,000 a day? You could say, hey man, I'm going to give you $1,000 every single day. The only thing that I ask is that once a day, you come back and you give me 10 bucks. That's all I want. I'm going to give you a thousand bucks every single day for the rest of your life. I'm just asking you to come back and give me 10. I don't care where you are. I don't care what you do. Just come back and see me and give me 10 bucks. That's what the Christian life is like. God says, I'm going to give you 24 hours. You can do with that 24 hours pretty much whatever you want. I ask that you be good. I ask that you be nice to people. I ask that you love on your brothers and sisters. I ask that you take care of them. But really, could you give me 15 minutes? Could you give me 15 minutes back? Maybe an hour? Could you? Just once a day. Could you give me a call? That's what he's asking for. He says, I've given you the whole day. Please come back and give me just a little bit. And he doesn't really care what it looks like. You can be sitting at the house. You can be praying on your knees. You can pray three times a day. You can pray every meal. You can do it however it works for you. He doesn't set a specification for that. And while that's incredibly freeing, and we get this wondrous palette, if you were just to go visit the churches in Fruta on a Sunday morning, you would see this amazing color palette, this painting of worship and teaching just across our little valley. Amazing variety. But it requires something from us. It means that we have to be disciplined, that we have to be responsible, that the passion has to come from our side without that structure, without the requirement. It says that whatever it is, whatever it is we're going to do, it has to come from our hearts. See, Christianity is all-inclusive, which is amazing, isn't it? It's a wondrous palette. We can do everything. We can be rigid and formal, and we can go all the way to being relaxed and casual. I was... uh, it struck me, but one of the criticisms that Muslims level against Christians is that we look nothing like our Jewish ancestors. We don't dress, pray, sacrifice, eat nothing like the Old Testament. And they say that they are in fact better at keeping the Old Testament than we are. And the facts are that's true. But that tells you point blank, they missed the point. <laughs> so we're going to go to Galatians chapter 5. And it talks about this very thing, about our freedom in Christ. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. That is, if you yoke yourself to a religious system. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. 
This is the key. It's in verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Underline this one. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I'll say that again. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Changes our perspective on on prayer, doesn't it? I like that word Maranatha. Lord, come, or come, Lord. It can be either one. I love it. Maranatha. That is, when we pray, and that's one of the things it's talking about, is having a mind that is focused towards and praying for the return of Christ. That's what he says. Praying for, looking for, expecting the return of Christ. If we were to flip over to, uh, to Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15, we all know it. It's the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Please, Lord, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our trespasses. And please, Lord, help us to forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And Lord, come. Please, Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Lord, come to us quickly. That's teased out in in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we mentioned verse 17 earlier, but what I want to do is I want to back up a little bit. Because if you go back, see, verse 17 talks about praying unceasingly. Keep on praying. That's what it says. Most of the time when we grab this verse, that's exactly what we grab is the the keep on praying part. We don't jump back to verse 1 where it says, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. This whole chapter is themed around the return of Christ. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, armor of God, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. He continues on, therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. You see that? With that view of the end times, with that view of the return of Christ, What am I supposed to do? I've put on the armor of God. Now what? Encourage one another and build each other up. Acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Here it is, verse 17. Pray continually. 
Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. If you want a funny story, listen to David Platt talk about the time he and his college roommate decided they were going to greet everybody with a holy kiss. (laughs) I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The end times are coming. Christ is coming back. Maranatha, Lord, come. So what do we do? Don't be ignorant and don't be fooled. Put on the armor of God. Encourage each other. Build each other up. Discipline each other. Hold those who care for your faith in high regard. Rejoice always. Give thanks always. Pray continually. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. It's hard. But we have to be soft-hearted. It's easy to grow cynical. It's easy to build up those walls. It's one of the things I loved about our video today. We get like this. We get hurt. We put up walls. We get to think that we know what people are going to do. And so we're like, nah, I'm not even going to go there. Not even going to try. I know what's going to happen. It's just going to hurt. It's just going to stink. I'm just going to be embarrassed. Instead, he says, no, you've got to be soft-hearted. And then be righteous. Keep ourselves clean. John Piper says, now we can see that This chapter is really part of this end-time teaching. It closes in verse 8 with a question, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will the warnings of Jesus to remember Lot's wife, to keep the heart fixed on Christ, and to not love the world, will those warnings secure the faith of the disciples? Will they endure to the end? Will the Son of Man find us trusting him or busy securing our lives in this world? He goes on to say, The good things in life can make us just as insensitive to the reality of God as the gross things in life. So the disciples of Jesus are left in a tremendous battle, which most people don't even know is going on. The the battle to maintain radical, heartfelt, self-denying faith in Christ, not only in the threat of persecution and sinful temptations, but also in the threat of ordinary home life and business life which can blunt all our sensitivity to God's eternal kingdom. He continues, he says, The danger we face as disciples of Jesus waiting for his return is stressed even more clearly in Matthew. Jesus says concerning the last days before his coming, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because wickedness is multiplied, most men's love will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Will he find fervent love on the earth? The danger we face is that our faith in Christ and our love for him and for each other will be swallowed up by opposition or by the sheer ordinariness of daily life. So the question is, how can we endure? How can we be found with faith and love? How can we avoid being like Lot's wife, and like those who are left in judgment. He 
says, pray. Isn't that an amazing answer? He says, pray. Get on your knees. Sit in your chair. Sit at the table. Bow your head. Fold your hands. Come to me in prayer. Then he, he does this amazing comparison. He talks about this, this judge, this horrible guy who treats this lady horribly. And in, in Jewish culture, widows were especially considered revered because they were supposed to be cared for by the rest of society. A, a widow held a special place. Everyone was responsible for their care and for their well-being. So for a judge, and the judge is frankly, he's quite honest about himself. He's like, no, I don't care about God and I don't care about men. This lady keeps on bugging me. He doesn't respect the culture. He doesn't respect any of it. God is not at all like that. God loves each and every one of us. He cares for each and every one of us. He is nothing like that judge. So when we cry out to him, like this widow, do you think the response is, well, I guess she ain't leaving me alone, so I suppose I oughta. Or do you think he says, son, daughter, I hear you. Yeah, I'm on it. It may not be in in the time that you're thinking it's going to be, but I hear you. And my answer is either yes or no or wait. But in my time, it will be good and it will be right. Always pray and don't lose heart. This is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It says, if you cry out to God day and night, if you always pray and don't lose heart, you will not be like Lot's wife. You will not be left in judgment. You will endure in faith and love. And God will vindicate you when the Son of Man comes. Therefore, always pray and don't lose heart. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, We open our hearts, we open our hands, we open our lives to you. We're going to step out of here. We've got this week coming up. And Father, we, we seek to make it a pleasing sacrifice that the aroma of our lives would, would drift up to you and that you would be pleased. Father, we seek to draw closer to you, that our passion, that our hearts, that our desires would be turned to you, that we would earnestly seek you, every day. Father, please break down our walls. We build up so many barriers, Father, that keep us from enjoying our relationship with you, that keep us trapped in the the same old, same old. Please, Father, break down those walls. Open up our hearts and open up our minds that the change that we seek, the change that we so desperately want to see in this world that we could be your hands and feet in doing those good things. Father, we seek to tap into your strength. So many times we feel tired and worn out, Father. We need to be renewed with your spirit. We need to lean into you. And Father, we're seeking your blessing. We're seeking your blessing for everyone who has come into this building this morning. We're seeking your blessing for especially our children for our entire valley. Father, please look down and bless them. Bless them abundantly with with life, with knowledge of you, with your light. Please, Father, look at our country. Look at our leadership. Bless them. 
Guide them. See them. Know them. Please. Father, we are so thankful for this time. We have folks that have surgeries that just happened, and we are thankful, Lord, that they are home and recovering. Thank you. Father, we have family members that have gone into the hospital. It's scary, Father. We, you are the great physician. Please be with doctors and nurses. Please heal them and get them home to us. Father, we want more time. We surrender ourselves to your will, Father, but please, we want more time. We have surgeries coming up. Cancer is still here. We, we just lift up those folks to you and ask that you be with them, that if you uh, wanted to get a little miraculous and, and maybe heal those up, that'd be wonderful. But Father, if you want to guide doctors and, and nurses and, and surgeons, then please do so, Father. We just, again, we want more time and, and good healing and to ease suffering. Father, we lift our church up to you, that we would be a church that is on your path, that is about your business, that is a light shining for you in this valley. Please correct us where we are wrong. Please speak loudly to us. Please let us be led by you and by your word. We ask all of that in the loving name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Miss Barb, yes, there's bagels and...